All right, Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading uh, in verse 1. It says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Now you're probably thinking, why in the world did he just read all of those names? My brother's like, no, it's, it's all good. Why did I read all, why did I go through the genealogy or some of the genealogy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As I've, I've, as I read this, there's a few names that pop out in, uh, 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 to me in that genealogy, but one in particular, as I was reading through this story again recently, about a month or so ago, there's one name in particular that popped up, and it's the name Rahab. It's the name Rahab. So I want to, I want to look at Rahab's life this morning and, 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 and how it, her circumstances parallel uh, our lives. So let, let's first go to Joshua chapter 2 and read about and see who, who this lady Rahab is that Matthew was referring to in the genealogy of Jesus. So if you're in Joshua 2, we're going to verse, start in verse 1 to, to set it up. The Israelites uh, were about to enter the promised land of Canaan that God had promised them. Um, Moses had just died. Joshua is taken over as leader. So before going into the promised land, Joshua sends out a couple of spies to check out the land and to, you know, scout it out to see before they went in to start making their campaign to take over the land. So Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1 says this. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there the night. So the first thing we see about Rahab is that she was a prostitute. So let's get a little more background on, on Rahab. Rahab uh, might have been an innkeeper as well. Uh, there's, there's, old, there's documents from the Old Testament time that show that innkeepers, uh, like someone that owned the inn or a hotel in that day, were prostitutes as well, which would make sense why the Israelite spies would have stopped there. Um, so a place to stay, they look like travelers just coming through the city, trying to be inconspicuous so it wouldn't tip off the authorities that there were Israelites spying out the land. Um, as a Canaanite woman, Rahab would have practiced the fertility cult of Baal. She would have worshipped Baal um, as well as the uh, Ashereth, which was the, the the husband of Baal, the mother uh, mother earth goddess. So in, in light of just that little bit of background, again, I'm going to pose the question, why is not a, that we know a pagan prostitute listed in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm going to give you the answer in two words, and I believe it's because of radical redemption. Radical redemption. And that's what I want to, looking at the life of Rahab, I want to look at Rahab's radical redemption, but how it parallels our life as well. And that what's going on in her life, uh, you know, we can take from. And so, um, so let's go ahead and, and, and read the reign of the story. I'm going to read a good little bit here in, in Joshua chapter two, but I want to give you, if you've never read this story, I want to give you the full scope of it. So the king of Israel hear that the scouts were at Rahab's house and told her to bring them out, but instead she hid them. And so let's pick it up in Joshua 2 and verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you the land, she told them. 
We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that you, what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all of my family. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days for the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all of your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by the oath. I accept your terms, she replied. And she, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. So we see the overview of the story of Rahab and what happened. Now, before I really dissect this, one more scripture I want to read to set, uh, to set a foundation here. And it's in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2 of why I use Old Testament stories and why we pull out these parallels. And Paul tells us what the purpose of the Old Testament was for. They're great stories. I love history. They're great historical reasons. But Paul in Corinthians tells us why we have Old Testament stories. 1 Corinthians uh First uh, Corinthians 10, 1, it says this, and I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. That's the, that's the Israelites. And then in First Corinthians 10, 11, he says this. Now, all of these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. So you see, what, what, what Paul is saying is that these stories, like the story I just read about Rahab, they're examples, or some people say types or shadows for us to glean from. Somebody said everything that, that happened to the Israelites in the natural, uh, and, and lessons that we learn from them in the natural, we can apply to as the New Testament church in the spiritual. Are y'all following with me? You're tracking with me? I just want to lay a foundation for our admonition, which that word means for counsel, advice, or caution. So taking Rahab's story and how she responded to the spies, I want to look at the parallels and how we should respond to the Lord in our own journey of redemption. Y'all ready? All right, let's go. Number one, she trusted the spies to save her. Rahab trusted these spies that she didn't know anything about to save her. In Joshua 2.21, it says this, I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet robe hanging from the window. As I, I, as I read this, I, I think about this. She, the, the picture here is that here's two guys she didn't even know. And she, in essence, was putting her faith and their word that they were going to come back to save her from destruction. This reminds us that no matter what, we got to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for our redemption. We have to trust his word and what he says is the way to heaven. He said, nobody goes to the Father except through me. You know, and, and, and it, this makes it, Paul makes it clear in Ephesians 2.8 when he says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's not, it is, a, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one 
can boast. He makes it clear. Now listen, maybe some of you in here this morning, you're not even exactly sure what I'm talking about. You're not exactly sure when I'm using the word redemption and what that means, and I'm going to explain that a little bit later. But you know, some of us grew up maybe going to churches where there were certain things that you did and certain ways that you acted to make you right with the Lord. There was, you know, your church attendance or maybe doing different things that, you know, if you do this enough and you're good enough, hopefully when you die, you know, you got, you got more, you know, checks than you got X's by your name and you'll make it. I want to make it clear, Ephesians makes it clear that we are saved by grace through faith alone. So if you're here today and you've maybe never really accepted the Lord, or you're still trying to figure out how do I make it to heaven, how do I get right with God, it's in faith and faith alone. It's it's, it's through faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross at Calvary. It's by His grace. It's nothing we've done. And listen, even I was even thinking about this. Even those of us that have been in church for a long time, some of us that even have been saved for a while, we can maybe get into a a, a works kind of mentality that, man, if I keep being good, if I keep doing this, because, you know, I messed up a lot last week, so, you know, maybe if I'm better this week, then, you know, the Lord will still be pleased with me. we got to remember that it's faith in Christ alone. You know, this was made crystal clear to me again last night. As I prayed for, you know, uh, Tommy Hogan, his wife Gina, you know, that passed away. We, we got a message on Facebook last night that she had just been uh, taken off the respirator. And, and so I called Tommy and uh, I went to the hospital to go pray with the family. And, and as I was with the family, we prayed, you know, a bunch of family around the, the bedside as, as Gina's laying there. And, um, and, and after we prayed, you know, I kind of went, went to the side and began to talk to Tommy. And Tommy and his brother-in-law all begin to express to me, said, man, we're at peace. He said, you know, and I said, oh, man, that's great. He said, we know she's going to be with the Lord. I was like, really? I said, man, tell me about, I, I don't really know y'all. How long y'all been coming to family life? He said, well, we've been coming about a year. He said, but, you know, we know where Gina's going. We were just praying for a miracle. And they were still believing in faith. He said, but about three, uh, two to three months ago, both me and Gina walked down when Pastor Todd gave the invitation. And we came down and y'all prayed over us to accept Christ. And, and Gina knows, even when this started happening, she said, I know I'm going to be with Jesus no matter what happens. Come on, somebody. That, that makes it. And listen, yes, praise the Lord. Listen, he began to share some things that, listen, she wasn't perfect. She still had her struggles. She, there was things where, you know, if some people might have looked, what a, you know, what might not have been the, 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 the spotless Christian that you would think. But her faith was in Christ alone. Her faith it was the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's some of the family right here. Praise God. You know, and so, you know, we... we you know, th- that blessed me last night to hear that because the family was telling me how that peace only comes from knowing, like, look, I'm putting my faith and my trust in the Lord. Amen? What's also cool before we move on to the next point is that, you know, um, not only do we have to trust in Christ alone, the finished work on the cross for our salvation, and believe that, believe his word, but I love how the spies came back for her. We got to remember that Jesus is coming back for us. Amen? We got to remember, you know, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's coming back. Amen? So number two, we see that Rahab, she hung a scarlet rope out of the window as a sign, as a sign to remind the spies about the agreement they made. Many scholars agree that this is a great sign for us, a great picture of the blood of Jesus. It was a scarlet rope. It wasn't a green one. It wasn't a purple one. It was a scarlet rope. And, 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 and we see that it's, again, 
We, we talked about how we have to believe in Jesus. The way he's made the provision is through his blood on the cross. And I, I'm, I'm going to read it later, but just reference it. But the Bible says that we were not bought or saved or redeemed by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was not only a sign for the spies, for Rahab, but even thousands of years ago is a reminder and a sign for us. Look at what it says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins you know we got to remember it's through the blood of christ that we're saved that we're redeemed that we have radical redemption and not only that not only that we saved and redeemed and and we are translated into eternal life but uh, years ago, a uh, brother Jim Darnell, one of the presbyters over this church, I remember on a Sunday morning, he preached an awesome message. I never forget. It. And he talked about applying the blood of Jesus to our life, applying it through prayer. Like, you know, and, and, and that can simply be as you're praying, you know, like I do with my family. I, Lord, I ask you cover my family in your blood. Or those of us that have been in church a long time is say, I plead the blood of Jesus over my wife, over my children. Lord, I ask that you would cover them in your blood. And, 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 and it's like some people are like, well, man, that kind of sounds weird, but it's a, it's something in prayer it's a spiritual principle and brother Jim gave a great illustration about that if you remember the story of, of the Passover the night that that the Lord was bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt uh, he was sending the death angel to kill all the firstborn sons of Egypt so he told the Israelites to slaughter a lamb pour out the blood in the basin and then take the basin take some palm branches and then and then mark the the doorposts with the blood. And Brother Jim says something, you know, us as New Testament Christians, we talk about the blood of Jesus. It's almost like if we had a basin full of blood sitting next to us every day, but we're not applying it. We're not applying it to our lives. In prayer, we need to cover our family, our friends, our homes, our businesses, our health in the blood of Jesus. And I give you one more illustration. That day, he said that he knew for a fact, a lady that was in their church was living in a neighborhood. It was, I think it was somewhere in Texas. And every day she would pray and she'd plead the blood of Jesus over her home and over her property. And a tornado came through that neighborhood and literally wiped out every single house in the neighborhood and hers was still standing. I believe it. Amen. I believe that there's a spiritual principle because, again, it's taking God at his word. You're applying the blood of Jesus and saying, I know the blood of Jesus cleanses us, saves us, but also covers us. And, and, and there's a wall of protection around us as we apply the Lord's blood as, through prayer. Amen. Number three, Rahab made declarations of faith. Rahab made declarations of faith. Well, you might say, well, man, that's yeah, that's great. That's a good thing. We should all do that. But but remember, remember, history tells us that. Most likely Rahab was worshiping pagan gods. She was worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth. So for her to make this kind of declaration was huge. This is what she said in Joshua 2.11. She said, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And the reason why she said that was, again, because she heard that she heard that about um, about the Red Sea crossing. She said, we heard how you have conquered all these uh, kings and all the land and how the Lord opened up the Red Sea for you all to walk through. So I'm thinking, I, I don't know if you do this when you read the Bible, but you kind of put yourself in the characters and say, I, like, I wonder what she's thinking at the time. So when she hears these stories, she's probably thinking, I've never seen Baal split no sea. I've never seen Astrid even blink her eyes. That piece of wood or stone or whatever they'd make these, these idols from. So she's hearing, okay, if the Hebrew guy can do this, he's the supreme God in the heavens above and the earth below. So if, if Rahab, 
a, a, a Canaanite pagan woman who was making these declarations of faith about the Lord. How much more us as children of God should make declarations of faith about the Lord? But again, let, let's get more specific over our lives. Because remember, Rahab was in a tough spot. She put her faith and, 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 you know, her trust that these spies were going to come back and take her out of Jericho when they conquered the city. But you know what? You know, she, she was in a tough spot. What if, what if they didn't keep their word? What if they forgot? She still made those kind of declarations. So let's personalize it. Let's apply it to our lives. You know, she was in a tough spot. I'm thinking about these families that have, you know, just lost loved ones. And like with, with Greg, we kept believing for a miracle. With last night, with, with Gina, the family was believing for a miracle. But what do you do when you have these, these, these mountains and it looks like that it's going south and it's going in the wrong direction? We prayed for uh, Brother Larry for years and just believing by faith. What do you do? You know, you continue to declare that God is who he says he is, that no matter how big the mountain is, no matter how tough it gets in your home, in your health, in your business, in your finances, you can still declare, you know what? My God, my Lord is still supreme over all these things. No matter how big it gets, how big the problem gets, how big the trial gets, my God is supreme, the supreme God over all the earth, over all the heavens, over everything. Amen? Psalm 91.2 says this, This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I will trust in him. He declared, he alone, no matter what. He's my refuge, my place of safety. He is my, I will trust in him. No matter how it looks, no matter what's going on around me, no matter how many news reports like we got this morning are, are of loved ones that have passed away alone, you need to declare. I encourage you to declare. The Lord loves you so much and he wants you to run to him to be your refuge. Amen? Number four, Rahab was brought out of her, of her old life. She was brought out, and that's, that's the key word. She was brought out of her old life. Once Jericho fell, the spies kept their promises. And in Joshua 6, 23, says this, The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives. You know, again, not only does the Lord, part of redemption is not just, you know, getting saved and getting right with God and going to heaven. Part of redemption is that the Lord brings us out of our old life and gives us a brand new life where we can start over again, where we, you know, you can almost like where you can hit reset. It's a, we, we can start over. How many of y'all like when you use the kids and you playing video games and you're getting smoked by your friend? It's like, you know, okay, let's, let's reset. Just hit the, let's reset, you know. Or, you know, you wish you can, re, you know, hit the reset button, you know. Some of y'all are older and probably like, man, we didn't even have video games when I was a kid. So, you know, but for us, we had Atari and Nintendo and, and now, you know, you have all this other stuff. But we get a reset, really. The Lord wants to bring us out. Listen, even though Rahab, they brought Rahab out of a physical location. In Jericho, it wasn't just her location that they brought her out of. You got to think it brought her out of her whole lifestyle, her lifestyle as a as a pagan worshiper, her lifestyle as a prostitute. She got brought out of that lifestyle and what she was doing and what she was involved in. The Lord wants to do the same for us. We know Second Corinthians five seventeen says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone; a new life has begun. A brand new life. I'm thankful that, you know, we don't have to walk in that, in that same life, under that same bondage. And I just want to encourage you this morning. If there's some of you in, in here that maybe been have Christians for a while, been saved in a while, but you're still struggling with something. You still got to struggle. You still have some kind of something that's hanging on you like a weight. 
Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's, it's some, uh, you know, some, some struggle. You know, something that's, that's going on that just seems to, like they say, the monkey on your back for years. A lot of y'all have heard my testimony. For me, it was drugs and alcohol and depression and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. I'm thankful. Listen, and I understand some of that stuff. When I got saved and the Lord radically redeemed my life that night, you know, some of the stuff went out the window right away. Other things, it took a little more time. But I believe we need to keep believing and trusting and seeking God for a total new life. For a total new makeover, amen? That the Lord wants to bring you out. You don't have to stay there. Look, even the Israelites, they were bringing, he brought Israel into a whole new land to start. Even when they got to Canaan, they changed the name. It was something different. They weren't going to stay the same. They brought Rahab out. The Lord has saved us and wants to break us and wants to break us free from the bondages of the old life. The fifth thing that I see here is, is not only did she, you know, get brought out, when, when, when they brought her out, they didn't just drop her off in the wilderness somewhere. They didn't just drop her off in the desert. It said she now lives among God's people. Now, this is important. Joshua 6.23, it says they moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Now, look what verse 25 says. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho, and listen to what it says. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. So in other words, when she got brought out of Jericho, she stayed living around amongst God's people for the rest of her life. See, when we get saved and we get brought out of our own life, we have to get connected into the family of God. Now, I commend you. It's great. You're here this morning. You're here in church, and that's awesome. But you know what? I want to challenge you to, to even go further. If you're just a, 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 if you're a regular church attender, you come on Sundays, maybe even, and, and even, uh, Sundays and Wednesdays to even go deeper. When you walked in today, you, you might have saw on the table, uh, full of life groups. That's why we have life groups here. That's such a great way to get connected into the family of God. When you have a life group, when you're in a life group, it's a smaller group setting. And there's something about that where you connect with families that are in the, the same season of life with you or people that are in the same season of life. And that's how you truly stay amongst and gets connected because you get encouraged. The Bible says iron sharp is iron. People can pray with you. People can walk with you. You know, people can comfort you when you're going through a loss or whatnot. You got to think Rahab gets pulled out of Jericho. I mean... She had her immediate family, but think about her other family and friends and everything she must have lost back there. But you know what? She was in the family of, of, of Israel now that I'm sure helped her and walked her and comfort with her, comforted her. So I want to encourage you, if you're not in a life group, get connected in one. There's plenty of them. Listen, I'll give you a quick testimony. Uh, me and my wife and I hadn't, you know, since we've been on staff, we hadn't led a life group in years. Uh, uh, but this, just this spring, uh, we led a young marriage life group. We've had, we had like four different ones going on uh, for young marriage under 40, and all of them are pretty much wrapping up right now and 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 our, our last group was Thursday night and I talked to, to uh, pretty much a few of the other leaders and every group was the same our group and theirs they all said man I don't want this to end I'm sad that it's ending because we were doing like a semester with curriculum and stuff and 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 why is that people make connections right connect like in our life groups in that age group you got a bunch of moms that are all have children and you know a bunch of dads that are working we all in the same season of life and so you know and, and even though the life group's over we you know the ladies are going to be getting together on their own the guys gonna be getting together we're going to get all our families together in the summer and then in the fall we're going to kick off another semester in a new curriculum but there's something that happens when you get in this small group setting 
you truly get connected or like Psalm says, you get planted in the house of the Lord. Look at Psalm 92, 13 says this, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Now, not only does it say that you're planted, but it says you're transplanted. So if you're transplanted, that means that you have to be planted somewhere else first, right? See, all of us, before we came to Christ, we were planted in the world. Whether we thought so or not, we were planted in the world. And, you know, I, you know, if anybody in here, I'm sure there's a lot of people that, you know, maybe you garden and you plant or you plant planted trees. You know, two things can happen when you transplant something. It can either wither and die or it can continue to grow and flourish. See, if you get transplanted in God's house, just like if you transplant a plant in the right uh, soil and give it the right water and nourishment it needs, that plant's going to flourish even though it's uprooted and planted. When we get connected and planted in the house of God in healthy relationships and get connected, we flourish in our faith faith. Amen. That's why it's so important to be connected in life groups and the different things that our, 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 our church has to offer. Amen. You know, I noticed something and I really want to hone in on this for a minute. I noticed something interesting and powerful when I read this story recently um, that I hadn't caught before. I, I'd read this story many a times, but I noticed something that really caught my eye this time. Joshua 6.23, look what it says. It says, the men who had Ben spies went in and they brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all her other relatives who were with her. I noticed that as soon as they brought Rahab out of Jericho, the Arthur drops prostitute off of her name. I begin to think about this. Oh, let me me go back. If you look at Matthew in the genealogy of Matthew, what does it label her as? All it says is Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Matthew doesn't call her a prostitute anymore. Isn't that powerful? When the Lord saves us and brings us out of our old lifestyle, you know what? He breaks those labels off of your life. He changes your name. He changes the course of your life. Amen? No longer do I have to be known as Brandon the Pillhead or Brandon the Pothead or Brandon the Alcoholic. I'm thankful that those labels are broken. Now, so I saw this, and I'm like, wow, this is cool. You know, they, her name got dropped in Joshua and then in Matthew, but then I kept reading Joshua, and I thought, oh, man, it's back again. <laughs> I was like, oh, I thought it kind of like blew it all out of the water, and I started thinking, yeah, I went to James and Hebrews, and they both mentioned what happened. They're actually commending her. they talking about what great woman of faith that she is. In Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, they mentioned her faith, and she was proved to be right with God by her actions, but they call her a prostitute against us. I was like, oh, man, what's, you know, what's going on with that? And then, you know what? I got the thought that, you know what? Once the Lord saves us, he redeems us. We don't have to carry those labels anymore. But you know what? The enemy and other people will still try to put those labels on you. Even well-intended people, James and Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews was, was commending her. Well-intended people will still try to put those labels. And this is the kicker. A lot of times, we still put those labels on ourselves. The Lord doesn't see us as the addict no more, as the prostitute anymore, as, as the, as, you know, whatever the case, the alcoholic anymore. It doesn't see us as the abuser anymore. It doesn't, doesn't, the Lord, when he redeems us, he doesn't see those labels. He sees us as, as whole, as saved, as what, remember that the scarlet thread represents the blood. He washes us. The Bible, he loves us so much. The Bible doesn't say that our sins are just, he covers them. He says he washes them away. So if our sins are washed away, that means those labels are washed away as well. So I want to encourage you, don't let the enemy or anybody else or yourself continue to put those labels on you that the Lord has broken off of you. Amen? 
Again, I'm so thankful that I don't have to walk around with these labels. The word redeem, one of the meanings of the word redeem means to restore back to its original state. See, the Lord wants to restore you back, wants to restore us back to how he originally intended us to live. You see, the Garden of Eden is, is God's heart of how he intended us to live. Adam and Eve was created. They were walking in the spirit with the Lord. There was no shame. They didn't have any clothes on. They were walking. And then the fall happened. And so in redemption, one of the words of redemption means to buy back, but it also means to restore back to its original state. So when, when, when we get radically redeemed, what the Lord's doing is he's wanting to restore you to what he intended for your life in the first place. You know, he, he says in Jeremiah that he knew us in our, before he even formed us in our mother's womb. They, he had plans and intentions for us. But, you know, sin, you know, and it wasn't our fault. We were born into a sinful world. But that's the, the power of radical redemption. Let me say one more thing about this before I move on to my last point. If you look at it, it was not only Rahab, I, I zeroed in on her today, but the unusual mention, look at some of the other women mentioned in what I read. They had stained reputations like Rahab. There was Rahab, there was Tamar, there was Bathsheba, but they're all in the genealogy of Jesus, which emphasizes God's grace, gracious acts of redeeming even those deemed unworthy by others. So you know what? These ladies, uh, again, you know, Tamar, Bathsheba, they were both in sexual immorality, and, and here you go, Rahab. But they're all mentioned in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It shows how gracious God is in his redeeming acts. Even if other people don't think you're worthy, if you may not even think that you're worthy to be redeemed, the Lord sees that, that you are. Or he wouldn't have sent his only begotten son to die on the cross to secure your redemption. Amen? Number six, my sixth and final point, and we'll wrap it up. The Lord changed the course of Rahab's life as well as her descendants. So let's look at, again, let's just, I, I read them, but let's look at who these people were, the descendants listed under Rahab. Uh, Boaz was her son. So this made Rahab the mother-in-law of Ruth. You know, I'm sure you're familiar. There's a whole book in the Bible about Ruth. She got a book named after her. So that was Rahab's mother-in-law, King David. God says he's a man after his own heart. King Solomon, the wisest, wisest man that ever lived besides Jesus. And then obviously one more king, King Jesus, our Messiah, Savior, and Redeemer. So how does this apply to us? The Lord can change the course of your life with the course of your children and your grandchildren's life as well. Amen? Redemption doesn't have to stop with us. It shouldn't stop with us. When we get redeemed and the course of our lives changes, that means the course of our descendants uh, ought to change as well or have, have the opportunity to change. Amen? Because I was, I was headed in the same direction as, as my dad and my grandfathers before me. And whenever the Lord intervened, the course of my life changed. Now my children's life has changed. Amen? I don't have to, like the Bible says, act like the, the, my forefathers. You know, it, something changed. He redeemed me, and now my children, instead of growing up in a home, that I, the same home I grew up in, could grow up in a home uh, that is filled with the presence of God and, 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 and teach them the ways of the Lord is, is what we're about to talk about. So let's, let's look at that just for a minute. How Rahab, how, how did her, her, where did it begin? How did the, the descendants change? I think we have a little bit of an insight on this. And Rahab married Solomon, and they had Boaz. That's in the genealogy. Matter of fact, that's the only time that Solomon's even mentioned in the Bible is in the genealogies of Jesus. 
And we can see how Boaz treated Ruth. If you're not familiar with the story of Ruth, I encourage you. It's an Old Testament book, four chapters short. I encourage you to read it. If you have never have, it'll complement the sermon tremendously. You'll even, you can go further with it if you want to study further on this. But we see Boaz treated Ruth, Ruth like a queen. He, he, he was an older man that took in this widow and provided for her, loved on her, treated her right. So I begin to think, I was wondering, you know, what, you know, what would have happened? What would have happened if Rahab, and maybe she did and the Bible doesn't record it, but what would have happened if Rahab would have had a son out of prostitution or a daughter out of prostitution? Good chance is that she, you know, she wouldn't have had the same, you know, um, chance in life, so to speak, to go in the direction that Boaz had as she was living in Jericho, which would have grew up worshiping pagan gods, mom's a prostitute. But instead, she gets redeemed. She gets brought out. She gets saved. She gets transplanted into the family of God. She marries a godly man. And obviously, they, they brought up a godly son because of the way that he treated Ruth. And again, if you haven't read the book of Ruth and you see exactly what I'm talking about, you know, this shows us how we need to pass on and teach our children the ways of the Lord. Amen? We need to teach our children the ways of the Lord. Look what Psalm 78, 4 and 6 says. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. Isn't that good? That's the instruction that we have as parents to teach our children. Those of you that are younger that don't have children yet, I want to encourage you. That's the vision of having children is teaching them the ways of the Lord, raising them up in the way of the Lord. So obviously we need to teach them about prayer and, and, and have, you know, read the Bible with them and have Bible study with them and, and worship with them and, and do all of these things. But the number one greatest way we can teach our children about the Lord is by our example, is by the way that we live. It's by the way that we live. Just as if your kids see you raising their ha- your hands in church, are they seeing you raise your hands at home? Are they seeing you praying at home? Or do they know whether they see or not? Do they know that you love the Lord no matter what? You're going to make those declarations of faith as we talked about no matter what. No matter how bad it gets or how sick someone gets or how rough the economy gets, you know, it's teaching them, raising them up in the ways of the Lord. As I look around here and I see parents with their children and having grandchildren now that, that are in church, you know, it's such a blessing to see that, the generations that have been taught and brought up in the ways of the Lord. And we're encouraged to do the same. So the Lord wants to radically redeem us. A lot of us in here, He has. Amen? He's radically redeemed us. He wants to bring us out of our old life, get us transplanted into the house of God. You know, and He 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 encourages us and wants us to to continue on, teach it to the next generation, teach the next generation about him, about the love of the Lord and who the Lord is. Amen? Why don't you go ahead and stand with me, please? I want to read one more scripture. I, I, I alluded to it earlier, but it's in Hebrews 9, 12, and it says this. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever by his blood you remember the blood of jesus he secured our redemption forever why don't you do me a favor and why don't you bow your head and close your eyes for me just out of respect for others and reverence for the lord and let me ask you are you are you secure in that redemption we just prayed for three families 
and all of them, you know, that, 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 you know, knew the Lord, you know, that, that, that put their faith some longer than others. You know, a lot of us, you know, we, uh, out of those three, I, I knew Greg personally. A lot of y'all knew Greg. And he's a man of God. He's a man of prayer. You know, love the Lord. They put their trust. Gina and Miss uh, Deborah's mom, she was telling me how she served the Lord for years and years. If you were like them and, and your time was coming to an end, say today, one slipped off into eternity at 11, the other one at 12. What, what, what if midnight tonight was, was the last midnight you would see on, on this side of the earth? Are you right with God? Are you secure that you would spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you secure in the redemption? He's he's so secure for you with his blood on the cross in Calvary. He died to take your place, to forgive you of your sins and make you right with him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Brandon, you know, I'm not sure. We sang about salvation this year. We talked about salvation. Salvation means that you are forgiven by the Lord and you are saved by grace through faith, which means you'll spend eternity with the Lord. If you say, Brandon, I'm not sure, I'm not secure that I would spend that eternity with him. If that's you, just lift your hand up, and I'd like to pray with you. If I can see your hand, I see your hand in the middle. All right, praise God. Anybody else over here on the side? I see your hand. Brother, anyone else? I see hands going up. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else right here, man? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hands going up. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else say, Brandon, I want to make sure before I walk out of this building tonight that I'm right with the Lord and that I know that that I I am redeemed and that I'm eternally secure. All right, remember as I read and I just said, it's by faith through grace. The Lord is extending his grace to you. And by faith, we're just going to pray and admit that we've sinned before God and ask God to forgive us. So I want you, I'll lead you in a simple prayer and we're all going to pray this together. Just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for securing my redemption. Lord, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Wash them in your blood. Make me new. Make me whole. Lord Jesus, I ask that you save me today. I make you my Lord and Savior. Now give me the grace and give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Yes, come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap. Rejoice with our brothers and sisters. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Hey, listen, if you raised your hand just now, uh, we'll dismiss here just in a couple of minutes. We would love to meet y'all. We have a gift for you, a Bible if you don't have one. But as soon as we dismiss, if you want to slip down and, and come meet us here at the altar, or you can go out in the lobby in the info center, and, and, and they'll talk with you, and they have some information for you. But before we leave, I'm just rejoicing with everyone that has just given their, their lives to the Lord. For those of us, I want to hit on a couple of things before we leave again for you to think about and pray about, and we're going to offer to pray with you. Is there something from your old lifestyle that is still holding you back? Is there something that, that, that still you feel like you have a monkey in your back that you just can't seem to shake after all these years? I want to encourage you. Come down. Let us pray with, it, pray with you. We want to minister to you. We want to help you. What about those labels? I, I, this is what I felt strongest about this message about sharing it this morning. That I feel like there's people walking around, even as born-again Christians, that still have labels hanging over their head. 
labels from the past, labels of guilt, labels of shame, labels of failure. I just want to encourage you not to leave here today without releasing that to the Lord or, or let someone pray with you. Come down and let us pray with you and just try to just minister to you and, and maybe see where those labels came in and, and how the Lord wants to just free you of that. He wants us to live free. Amen. He wants us to live light. Amen. He wants us to live walking in the victory and the joy of the Lord. Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you for this time together. I just thank you for the souls that got saved this morning, for snatching people, Lord God, uh, out of the pit and into eternal security. Thank you for securing our redemption with your rich royal blood. Lord, I pray that you would break bondages, break wrong mindsets, bring people out of their old lives, break labels, Lord, the lies of the enemy, the labels that have been people have been carrying, have been hanging over their head for so many years. I pray today that you would break it off of them by your spirit and by your power. Power, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, I just pray your grace would be upon everyone. I pray you help people to get connected. Those that are not connected, that be stirred to get connected even deeply into your family. Father, I thank you for everyone here. Pray that you protect them as they go. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Well, God bless y'all. We love y'all. Y'all have a great day.